So awesome. You know, when God does stuff in your life, it's life-changing, life-altering. It's stuff you can never forget, you know. So wonderful. And everybody has a story. Everybody got a story. And if you'll just take time to listen to people's stories about what God has done in their life, it'll actually activate faith in you to believe God for breakthroughs. It'll, it'll, it'll motivate your faith that, man, wow, God did that for him. Wow, God, the thing I'm believing God for, wow, it's nothing compared to what God did for that guy. Amen? So, uh, awesome. Anybody here for the first time today, like you, first time in, in the church building at the back there? Thank you for coming out. Come on, give him a big round of applause. So, don't know how you got here, but welcome. You know, I always say this, it's a scary thing to walk into a church building because you don't know what's going on on the inside, you know what I mean? It's really, you know, you got to have courage, you know, you got to be brave. And so you, you get the, 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 the medals of bravery today, you know. We just say thank you for coming in here and trusting that we're not going to do something weird. And Too late. Too late. Look, we love Jesus, you know, and we believe in the power of God. There's, there's, you, can, you can talk all day long, but it's the power of God that changes you. And uh, we need His presence in our lives. And that's my, you know, that's my only focus. I, uh, heard a, uh, I, read, I was reading a book, and I heard this statement. I read this statement in the book. And it said, I hope I get it right. It said, behind every brain, there is a mind. Behind every mind, there is a pattern of thinking. Behind every pattern of thinking is a shaper and behind every shaper is a motive. What is the motive of the person that you're allowing to shape your mind to build structures and patterns of thinking that become your reality? And so you have to watch who you allow to influence you. Because if you don't know their motive, because the motive is what the whole thing is about. And that's why the motives of the heart are very, very important. And I don't trust people until they open their hearts to the Lord and reveal the secrets of the heart. Because you can sit in church all day with a Bible, look pretty, say the right things. But when it's time to cleanse the heart and repent of the things that are lurking in there, are you bringing it to the altar? And if you're holding darkness in your heart, I can't trust you. I read this statement. Man, statements are popping in my cranium. It says, children are scared of the dark, but adults are scared of the light. So good. So when you're a kid, you're afraid of the dark. But when you have darkness in you, you're afraid of the light. And what you have to do is not be afraid to expose the darkness in your heart. Let the light of God expose that darkness so that you can walk in truth, that you can walk in freedom. Amen? So that's what my motive is. My motive, if you ask me, what is your motive? My motive is that you 
have a relationship with God. That you walk with the Lord as man did in the Garden of Eden. That's my motive. Because that's what I'm pressing for. And you will find that in every season of your walk with the Lord, you get closer and closer and closer and closer to Him. Just like in your marriage. You get you married for, you know, one year. Hey, by the time you hit five years, you've, you've you faced some stuff. And you're walking closer. Ten years, you've broken some, some, some more barriers and experienced a few thunderstorms and lightning, very, very frightening. Oh, mamma mia. Oh, mamma mia. Because, you know, you almost met the hills above in hell, you know, in some of those battles. And I tell you what, every battle that you overcome, you just get closer and closer together. So when you face a battle in your marriage or in your relationships, that battle is to remove barriers keeping you from being in unity. That was loaded. I don't know if you got that. So anyway, nice meeting you guys. So that's my motive. That's my heart. Uh, I love God with everything that I am. I would not be alive today if it were not for the Lord. The only reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because this is the will of God for my life. I would not have dreamed this up for myself, not in a million years. I was in the club. That was my world. And then I came into God's world. And there is a pure club that I'm now part of. Amen. So while I'm there, I might as well just say it because it's on my heart. So in South Africa, when I grew up in South Africa, when I left home and moved to Johannesburg, I got involved in the entertainment industry, uh, worked um, in a section of Johannesburg where they brought all the movies into the country. It was a lot of the media and movies and those kind of corporations around us. And um, it was a very affluent area. Um, and was an upcoming area. I was working in an Italian restaurant, Luigi's. And uh, I worked my way up to management, and then this guy who owned a hairdresser, a very well-known guy, he started a nightclub. And he asked me if I'd come be the manager at the club. Well, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but, you know, when you're trying to climb the corporate ladder and just get to the top of your industry, you will, you've got no faithfulness to nobody. You'll jump at the first opportunity if it includes 50 more cents in your paycheck because you're running after the money and you don't understand the reward of faithfulness. You, <laughs> you have no covenant. You just work by contract. And so I jumped at the next opportunity. What was crazy was Right said Fred. I don't know. I'm too sexy. You know that guy, those group? Yeah, so they opened the club the first night, and I had no idea that these guys were gay and whatever. You should have seen what showed up at the club that night. Everything transgender, transvestite, cross-dresser, the whole LGBT community, it showed up. And, you know, good old Catholic boy, you've never seen anything like this in your life before. The Great Awakening. <laughs> I had guys hitting on me at the door. You don't know how uncomfortable that is. Hi, boy. Oh. <laughs> like, dang. I was questioning my job 
at night. So anyway, this, this friend of mine, I met this DJ guy. We became really, really good friends. And uh, I would drive with him every weekend to a town about an hour outside Johannesburg. And he was the club uh, resident DJ, and I loved the dance floor. And so he was always in the DJ booth. I was always on the dance floor. And this guy could mix music like no one else. He had such an ear. He had music in his bones. And he could take songs and mix them together and tease you with stuff. And just like he was an artist. And him and I became such good friends, and we opened our first nightclub together. The dumbest idea that we ever did, probably. Almost died a couple of times. And so we would go to this restaurant in, in Ferenichen, and it was owned by these two old Italian guys. I mean, these guys were probably 70, 80 years old, right? And they did everything. They didn't have any staff. They would greet you. They would seat you. They would serve you. They would cook your food. They would clean the dishes. They would bring you your bill. We would sometimes have to wait three, four hours before our meal arrived. But the food was so good that it was worth the wait. You know? And so I have a lot of great memories uh, with my friend George. He was from Spain. He hailed from Spain. George. And so I got news on Saturday night that he passed away. So, I mean, I haven't spoken to him since 1999. The whole club thing fell apart, and we kind of started going two separate ways. And he came, he came to Fort Lauderdale in 99. I had moved over here. I hadn't seen him for like two, three years. He came over. I met him in Fort Lauderdale, and I shared the gospel with him, and I prayed with him to receive Christ. Right? And so I haven't, I, I've been trying to get hold of him and see him. I've only heard through the grapevine different things. But um, when I got the news on Saturday that he died, it just really just messed me up a little bit, you know. And I'm pissed about it. I'm really mad. I'm really just, you know, I'm taking this harder than I took my dad's death. And the reason I'm taking it harder is because the Lord told me that my dad was going to pass. It's one thing when you know something's coming, but when you don't expect it and something hits you, it shakes you. And it's, it's almost like what I'm going to be sharing today, <laughs> what I'm going through and what I'm facing is so key to what I'm getting ready to talk about today. Because it's almost like every time I'm ready to share a message about what God wants to do in your life, it's like I have to go through the test of what that is. You know what I mean? So what I'm preaching to you is not something that I think will work for you. It's something that I have to do personally that works for me. And if it works for me, then I know it'll work for you. You know? And, you know, I, I come to find out that I was scrolling. Th I found his Facebook page, and I, I was scrolling through it. And I see him praying prayers, thanking God for his family in, on his Facebook page. And I see him posting announcements like, uh, we're doing an outreach under the bridge to feed people that are hungry. You know what I mean? And... Um, you know, I asked the Lord, I'm like, Lord, is he in heaven? Is he with you? And the Lord said he's with me. And uh, the last thing you want is your friends and your family to go to hell. 
You don't want that. So take every opportunity you can to love people and tell them the truth about God. Because you don't know when your last day is. And, you know, you don't want to hear the news that somebody you should have mended things with and fixed things with is gone and it's too late. And then you start living in regret. Right? So anyhow, give me a second. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll come out of this. And so, um, you know, what's really, what really breaks my heart is that he has two, two young kids, probably 10 and 12, and then he just had a baby girl like a year ago. So, and I'm seeing him playing with his kids and videos online, and then you think about these kids having a good dad, and now he's suddenly gone. That's hard. Right? Ah, give me strength, Jesus. So if I'm a mess today, I'll be all right. Amen? So I figured out how you guys can pray for me. You know, people always ask me, Pastor, how can we pray for you? You know, my relationship with the Lord is epic. My relationship with my wife is epic. We are loaded. We, 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 we don't have money problems. I don't have any conditions in my heart. I don't have any sin in my life. My kids are epic. My whole life is epic. But my golf game sucks. And I realized the area that I need prayer is for my golf game to improve. So if you guys want to pray for me, Pray, Lord, give him wisdom on how to lower his golfing score, you know. That's how you can pray for me. Because it'll help me. I need prayers that'll help. And this will help my life. I'm realizing this will be a benefit to me if my golf game gets better. Because then when I play people, I actually beat them instead of being a loser. And I don't want to be a loser. Amen. Amen. Maybe I should play with people who don't know how to play golf. And then I'll feel like a winner every time. <laughs> but it's very frustrating playing with people who don't know how to play the game because then you're like from tree to tree, you know? <laughs> you're just looking for golf balls more than you're playing golf. Just quit. That's why people throw their clubs in the water. All right. Now I'm back. All right. Father, today I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for the work that you've done in me. And as I freely received, I'm freely going to give, God. And I thank you today, Father, for the power of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, I thank you that as your word enters our hearts and as your spirit moves, that you're going to transform the lives of the people in this room today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we started an eternal life series. And uh, in the month of May, the Lord started talking to me about a men's ministry. I was very resistant at first. 
You know, anybody have, have a little rebellion in them when God asks you to do something and you're like, no, I'm not ready for that. And, and the thing is, what I love about the Lord is He starts preparing you for the thing that He wants you to do. When the Lord shows you to do something, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily do it immediately. What it is, it's a seed that has to take root and then it has to grow. And I, I used to be in the business of the minute the Lord spoke to me something that I would rush to do it immediately and I didn't understand the process of growth. And so I would get into my own strength to try and bring it to pass. I, was, I would always get ahead of God. But the Lord is merciful. He sent Misty into my life and she is a woman of structure. And she knows how to get you from where you are to where you need to go. I am blessed with a brother-in-law that ruined my day one day. I sat for an hour talking to him about vision, where we were going, what we were doing. And he patiently sat there and listened to me. And I laid it all out. I went for it, all it, all out, all the structures and all the things we're going to do. And then he didn't say one word through the whole meeting. And at the end of the meeting, he flipped the page over. And he drew, drew three boxes. And then he said, this is where you want to go, but this is where you are. And that popped my bubble that day. I think I was mad with him for at least two weeks. Didn't want to talk to him. Didn't want to go near him. He just ruined my day. He ruined my life. But it's good to get a reality check sometimes. You know, you can live in the, the world of vision but you can be so caught up in the future that you're not doing the work that you need to do in the now to get you to where you want to go. You live in a daydream and you get nothing done. So you need people in your life that'll hurt you because they love you. Those were cold words that day. They were cold, man. But you know what? It popped me out of that world, and it got us working on the things that we needed to do. And then a year, two, three years later, you look back, and you start seeing where you started and where you're going and where you are in the process. Because you have to build structure to sustain things without you being there. Are you with me? This has nothing to do with my message, but I'm just talking. Amen? And so... What we want to do is we want to bring you out of living. We're talking about your lifestyle, okay? The life that you live, the things that you practice daily, that's your lifestyle, right? And there are things that you practice that bring destruction to your life. And sometimes we don't even realize the practices that we're doing, how they are bringing destruction. We are blinded to them because we are programmed a certain way. And so... Until you meet God, all you know is how to live by your five senses and how to live by the desires of your heart. It's very self-centered. But when you meet Jesus and the life of God opens up on the inside of you, you now begin to discover the things that are in God's heart and God's desires. And what you have to do is you have to say, not my will, not my desires, I lay them down. But now I'm going to start doing the will and the desires of my Heavenly Father. That's how you live to please Him. Amen? But 
desire is the thing that gives you energy. Your desires are attached to your will, and your will is man's power. Willpower, right? When you get a dream, you get a desire, you have uh, a, a will, and you make a choice, and now you get strength to go after the thing you desire. That's human strength. But when you tap into God's desires and you tap into God's will, you get in Ephesians 3.20 that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you ask or think according to the power that works on the inside of you. So there's the Holy Spirit's power that backs up the will of God to give you a supernatural energy that you can't get in your own natural strength. Does that make sense to you? And there is a process of laying down your will, your desires, and picking up the desires of God. And the center of that is the cross. You see, you have to come to a place where things die before there's a resurrection. And there has to be a death to your way of living before you get into God's way of living. And in this death, you have to surrender your will. If you don't surrender your will, you're not going anywhere. Because your will and God's will will always be in, in uh, a wrestling match. But the minute you surrender your will to God, you'll get your breakthrough. And some of us are very stubborn and hard-headed. I think all of us. If you feel you fit into that category where maybe not anymore, but you used to be real stubborn and hard-headed, lay, lay your left hand. Raise your left hand. Okay, some liars. If you know, without a shadow of doubt, that you were one of those stubborn people, maybe still stubborn, put both hands in, hands in there and like, yes, it's me. I surrender. All right, so we started this live series. The Lord told me, it's taking a long time to get this out today, to start the men's ministry. And as I've been working on that, I was like, Lord, how do I lead men? It's like herding cats, God. How do I do this? I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what to tell them. It's just not comfortable for me. Right? And um, the Lord started directing me into the Bible, and He started showing me how He was a father. God the Father was a father to Adam, and how God the Father was a father to Jesus. And I'm starting to learn keys and principles about what a father does and who a father is, right? Because we want to be fathers in the Spirit, and we want to raise up spiritual sons, right? We want to know how to be, I haven't got to the husband and wife stuff yet, but right now I'm dealing with fatherhood. What does a father look like? You know, it's easy to, to have children. It's a whole different story to be a father and a grandfather. And ministry starts in your household before it comes out of your house. Amen? Amen. And we have to build solid homes. And I realize the of the man's role in the house. And the man in the house is actually the foundation. 
husband is house bond. He's the one that actually keeps the home together. It's his responsibility. He's got that authority. And we find in our day and age that there are a lot of absent fathers. Even though they're home, their minds are not at home. And the hearts of the fathers are not to their children. And the hearts of the children are not to their fathers. And that's why we have broken homes. And so this is something that we have to work on and it's something we have to fix. And it's something we have to create as a culture in this house. And so the Lord is currently working on me with this thing. And when we're ready, we're going to launch this thing. And we're going to see change in men's lives. Amen? Amen. And so while I was studying this message, I saw God the Father in Genesis create the first man out of the dust of the ground. I'm reading the story. And it says he bends down and breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. And that man made out of sand becomes a living being. And the Lord gives me a revelation and he shows me in that moment that the breath of life has the ability to turn dust into living tissue. It might not sound epic to you, but in the moment reading that, it came alive on the inside of me. And then the, these scriptures popped into my heart. Deuteronomy 8.3 and Luke 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And behind every word of God is the breath of God. And if you will meditate on the word of God, it'll bring life to your physical body and it'll give you the strength to do the task God has called you to do. And so all of a sudden the Bible started opening up to me where everywhere I read in the Bible, the word life began to jump out of the pages. And I had never seen life so many times in the Bible as I have in the last two months. And as we were coming into summer, the Lord really just put it in my heart that we needed to start diving into eternal life. What does this life in God look like? How do we live in this life? Because Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. So if abundant life is available to me, how do I tap into it? And so I'm on this journey just like you are, and as I'm discovering things, I'm just sharing them with you. Because I can't preach stuff out of my head. I've got to preach stuff out of my heart. That's just how I roll. Because if you talk to people's heads, you just get people full of pride. But if you talk to people's hearts, you'll get people who are humble. Amen. So, open your Bibles to the book of, we're going to go back in time, people. We're going to go to the prophets of old, and I think we're going to read Ezekiel. I think if I have another kid, I'm going to name him Ezek. But we're not going to have another kid, so maybe one of my, ki my kids, my grandkids, you know, we, we can slip Ezek in there. Just anyway, I'm having fun. Go to Ezekiel chapter 8. So since the Awake America crusade and our ordination under uh, Pastors Rodney and Adonica, the month of May was really just a, sh a turning point for me personally. So much shifted in me, and I've, I have broken through into another place in my relationship with God. I'm in a brand new place. 
My experiences with the Lord are different. Everything about who I am right now in my relationship with God is completely transformed. I feel like I got saved again. That's how big the, the change is in my prayer time and my private time with the Lord, right? And over the last eight weeks, there's been some specific things that the Lord has shown me and the Lord has worked in me that He's going to work in you so that you can experience this life that He has for you, right? And so I've been diving into some different scriptures and reading some different things, but I believe we're going to find what we're looking for right here. Ezekiel chapter 8. So this is Ezekiel. He has this encounter with God, right? Look at the person next to you and say, when you have an encounter with God, you'll never be the same again. So watch this guy. He's then on September 17th, during the sixth year of King Jokashian's captivity, while the leaders of Judah were in my home, the sovereign Lord took hold of me, and I saw a figure that appeared to be a man. And from what appeared to be his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, and from his waist up, he was like gleaming amber. He reached out what seemed to be a hand, took me by the hair, and then the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me to Jerusalem in a vision from God. Imagine having this encounter with God where God is a flaming fire and a burning coal and what looks like a hand grabs you by your head, picks you up into the sky and transports you to a city. People say, well, I met with the Lord. No, you didn't. I don't have a lot of hair, so maybe. <laughs> Grab me by the neck or something. I don't know. Maybe I have supernatural hair. I don't know. May I have hair in the spirit. I was taken to the north gate. So this is the vision now. I was taken to the north gate of the inner courtyard of the temple, right? Where there is a large idol that has made the Lord very jealous. And suddenly, <laughs> the glory of the God of Israel was there just as I had seen it before in the valley. So if you read back, he had another vision where he saw the glory of God. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, look towards the north. So I looked, and there to the north beside the entrance to the gate near the altar stood the idol that had made the Lord so jealous. Son of man, he said, do you see what they are doing? Do you see the detestable sins the people of Israel are committing to drive me from my temple? But come, and you will see even more detestable sins than these. Then he brought me to the door of the temple courtyard, where I could see a hole in the wall. This is all a vision now. God's taking him to a wall, and he's saying, look in the hole. And then he said to me, now, son, see the hole in the wall? 
dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and found a hidden doorway. Go in, he said, and see the wicked and detestable sins they're committing in there. So I went in and saw the walls covered with engravings of all kinds of crawling animals and detestable creatures. Say, writing on the wall. I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. Seventy leaders of Israel were standing there with Jays, I'm just going to say Jays, and the son of Shaphan in the center. Each of them held an incense burner from which a cloud of incense rose above their heads. And then the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in dark rooms? They are saying the Lord doesn't see us. He has deserted our land. Then the Lord added, come and I will show you even more detestable sins than these. And he brought me to the north gate of the Lord's temple. And some women were sitting there weeping for the God of Tammuz, whoever that is. Have you seen this? He asked. But I will show you even more detestable sins than these. Then he brought me to the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple at the entrance of the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar. There were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. They were facing east, bowing low to the ground, worshiping the sun, S-U-N, the ball of fire in the sky. Have you seen the Son of Man, he asked. Is it nothing to the people of Judah that they commit these detestable sins, leading the whole nation into violence, thumbing their noses at me and provoking my anger? Therefore, I will respond in fury, and I will neither pity nor spare them, and though they cry for mercy, I will not listen. It's pretty serious. So out of this passage of Scripture, what I want you to get, number one, I want you to get that it is our sins that drive the presence of God out of the temple. Look at the person next to you and tell them, do you know that you are the temple of God? See, God purchased you. It was never God's intention to live in the Ark of the Covenant. It always God's intention to live on the inside of man, His presence to be in you, to lead you and guide you from within. But when we sin, we actually drive the presence of God out of, our temp out of the temple. See, you cannot have rebellion and obedience in the same place. Your rebellion unlocks... Um, destruction in your life, but your obedience unlocks the blessing in your life. And it's the choices that you're making. It is the things that you are saying in your heart. Are you saying the Lord has abandoned me? He doesn't care about me? The, the, the incense, the prayers that are rising in your heart, is it worship? Is it prayer? Or are you, you know, are you looking at other things as your source? Here they're saying, you know what? The leaders are worshiping the sun. There's people out there that are all into mother nature. Nature is my mother. I do not come from a vine. I am created and made in the image of God. 
in the likeness and the glory of God Almighty. Amen? And so there's all these things. Then it says they had inscriptions on the wall. You know, I go into my daughter's bedroom, and she has stuff all over her walls. She's got pictures of all her friends. She's got banners with sayings. And, you know, there's things that you write and you put on your walls or that are placed around you, your family, your life, and they are things that you look at every time you walk by them, right? Well, they are things on the walls of our temple in our hearts that you see every time you close your eyes. And the question I have for you, what is inscribed on the walls? Here were detestable things written on the walls. They had all kinds of things that, that, uh, that were dis- disgusting in the sight of the Lord. And what the Lord wants to do today is He wants to clean the walls of your temple. And we're going to get into it. But I want you to go read Isaiah. You can go read this at home. Read Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's cleansing and call. And basically, you know, he was, he had an encounter with the Lord. I'll read it. It was the king, if you got to go, you got to go. I can't help it. It was, the, it was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. So in the courts of heaven, there are angels that are mighty that attend the Lord. Each having six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, this made me laugh, It is all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King and the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar, and with a pair of tongs he touched my lips, and with it, and said, See this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So there is a fire that comes from the altar of God that has the ability to clean your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we tell people, hey, don't say that. Well, people are going to say what's in abundance in their heart. You can try shut the mouth, but they still believe it in the heart because it's inscribed on the walls of their heart. It's something they believe. So just shutting your mouth isn't going to fix the problem. You have to go deeper. And there is a fire that comes from God that can cleanse things on the inside of you that will change the way you believe and the way you speak. And that's what we want. We want to be transformed from the inside out. Amen. I want something that's going to be lasting. I don't want medication, and I don't want to learn management skills. I want this to be natural. I'm not trying to manage my sin. I just want to be free from sin. Amen? And so I was reading a lot in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Go back to Ezekiel. It's just good to read. 
just want to read this stuff because I don't want to rush through it. You know what I'm saying? Ezekiel chapter 11. We're just going to read Bible today. What did you do at church? We read from the Bible. The Spirit lifted me, Ezekiel chapter 11. The Spirit lifted me and brought me to the east gateway of the Lord's temple, where I saw 25 prominent men of the city. I read that already, right? Oh, this is, a, this is another story. Okay. Uh, these, uh, yeah. these men who are planning evil, giving wicked counsel in the city. And they say to the people, it is not a good time to build houses. This city is like an iron pot. We are safe inside it like meat in a pot. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against them loudly and clearly. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and told me to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to the people of Israel. I know what you are saying, for I know every thought that comes into your minds. I want you to know God knows every thought that comes into your minds. Every thought that goes through your head, the God can see it. So there's no hiding from the Lord in your thinking. It says, you have murdered many in this city and have filled its streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord said. This city is an iron pot, all right, but the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. As for you, I will soon drag you from this pot. I will bring you on onto you the sword of war you so eagerly fear, says the sovereign Lord. So the Lord knows your fears too. And I will drive you out of Jerusalem and hand you over to foreigners who will carry out my judgments against you. You will be slaughtered all the way to the borders of Israel. I will execute judgment on you, and you will know that I am the Lord. No, this city will not be an iron pot for you, and you will not be like meat safe inside it. I will judge you even to the borders of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord. For you have refused to obey my decrees and regulations, Instead, you copy the standards of the nations around you. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 12, do not copy the behaviors and the customs of this world system, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God wants us to obey His regulations, not the customs and the patterns of the world. This has been a thing in the old covenant and the new covenant. It's the same story. Except, you know, there was a lot more judgment here with people dying. While I was still prophesying, this guy, Peletea, son of that guy, Benaniya, suddenly died. And fell face down on the ground and cried out, O sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone in Israel? Then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man. The people still left in Jerusalem are talking about you and your relatives and all the people of Israel who are in exile. They're saying, those people are far away from the Lord, so now He has given uh, their land to us. Therefore, tell the exiles, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I have scattered you in the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary to you during your time in exile. I, the sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel once again. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable gods. Look at the person next to you and say, the Lord is going to remove 
vile images and detestable idols from your temple. And then he says, I will give them singleness of heart, put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations. Loving God shouldn't be hard. If you're struggling to love the Lord, then you're not saved. You didn't give your heart to Jesus yet. And you can do that today. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. That's what God wants. He wants you to just obey His decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people. And I will be their God. But as for those who long for vile images and detestable idols, I will repay them fully for their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So go to the New Testament. Let's get a little more cheery. Because that was a lot of dying. And... But when you live in sin, you actually live in death. There's no life when you're living in sin. Right? There's just judgment. There's just your life is, is in chaos. It's miserable. And when your temple is filled with chaos and darkness and judgment and all that stuff that's in there, you are a miserable person. That's why there's no joy in your face. And I used to be a Christian that had a bunch of junk in my heart that I didn't clean out. And I would look at my spiritual mom, I'm like, there's no way you can be that happy every day. You've got to be faking it. But there is a true joy of the Lord that comes when you're no longer struggling with all this stuff on the inside. Look at the person next to you and say, we've got to get the heart clean. And some of you are dirty. Been playing in the mud. We, we went out mudding the other day. It was, um, oh, you saw it in the video. And so they have cows roaming the property. So there's just cow poop in all the mud. There's flies everywhere. So the mud that's coming on you isn't just mud. And I wondered why the flies were so attracted to me and my truck and all that. Let me tell you a real story. In the, hills of, in the hills of Africa, the African people take fresh cow poo. Whatever, but cow poo. And they smear it on the floor of their huts. And when it dries, you can put shoe polish on it and it shines. True story. It is the floor of most African huts. You've got to use natural resources, man. Cow poop is in plenty over there. It's got a factory making floors. Moving right along. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. It says, For husbands, this means love your wives. All the ladies that are married. Just as Christ loved the church. Now watch this. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. Okay. 
So there's a cleansing that comes from God's Word. What does it do? To present her to himself as a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So every one of us wear garments in the Spirit. You, you say we do? Yeah. You have the garment of salvation. You have the robe of righteousness. Everybody with me? You can put on the garment of praise. Do you, in Ephesians, you can put on armor. You can go to war with the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the belt of truth. Forget Wonder Woman. This is the original belt of truth, the lasso of truth, whatever. The belt of truth. That's why when you whip your kids on the butt with a belt, truth suddenly awakens in the mind. The truth of the deception is awakened. Like Mike popping my bubble the other day. Well, many years ago. Many years ago. In the beginning. It felt like yesterday. I still feel it. I need, I, I, I need healing, Lord. I need... No, I'm good. Um, the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. What else do we have? The, the sword of the Spirit. You've got this javelin. It's not mentioned there, but it talks about prayer. And the Roman soldiers had javelins. See, when you pray, you throw that javelin out there. You take out the enemy before he even gets to you. People with a prayer life have to face the enemy day to day in their faces. Because they don't take care of stuff. Anyway, moving right along. So you can wear things in the Spirit. You can wear shame in the Spirit. You can wear fear in the Spirit. These are all things. How many of you know what sickness feels like? How many of you know what health feels like? Right? So sickness is from the devil. What is the word I'm looking for? Depression. Can you feel depression? You can feel the glory of God. So you can feel things, and we can wear things. The Bible tells us that we need to put on Christ. We need to walk in love. We need to put on our new nature. We've got to strip off the old nature and put on the new. So you wear things in the Spirit. I've got a lot of things I want to say, but I need to move on. Say, so I wear things in the Spirit. Garment of salvation. That's like your undies. And then there's the robe of righteousness, right? <laughs> I'm just giving you an idea of what these things are in the Bible. You read, I have a robe of righteousness. Doth thus knowest that I have the robe of righteousness? Like, what is that? I have the robe of righteousness. Can you explain righteousness to me? I have the robe of righteousness. So you got to know what you're wearing. you got to know what it is that you've got. Right? Make it simple. Salvation is your underwear. Righteousness is your clothing. The Bible says like babes, you need to crave the pure milk to grow in your salvation. So you got your diapers on when you've when you, when you got the garments of salvation. But then the robe of righteousness is right living before God. Right? You, you can handle correction, and you, you're going to live right, and you're maturing to take on responsibility. 
in the kingdom. Amen? And then when you get your armor, you go to war and you can fight battles in the spirit. So we've got to teach you how to fight the good fight of faith. So I can wear stuff. I wear stuff in the spirit. You know, if you've, if you've lived in the world and you've done shameful things, you wear shame. You, when people wear shame, they can't look you in the eyes because they feel that they, are, um, they have no value. That's what shame does to you. There's, there's, uh, you can wear an, un, there's an unclean spirit when you have been um, abused and some things have been done against your will. There's this uncleanness that you can feel that you carry. You can feel lust. You can feel all these different things. And this is your life, guys. What you live with every day, these feelings, these emotions, these things that you see, these things that you carry, this is your life. And we want to break you. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We want to break you out of the things the enemy's trying to get you to wear. And we want to strip that off you so that you can put on the things God wants you to wear. So that when you walk, you can hold your head up high because you know you're clean on the inside. You can look at people in the eye and you can be bold because there's nothing that you have to hide. You're not afraid. And so we carry this stuff in us. And we don't know how to get it out of us. We don't know how to get it clean. And Jesus is coming back for a church without, with, with garments that are without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Are you with me? The enemy wants to defile you. The word defile has three different words that make up defile. The first one is mar. The second one is sully, and the third one is spoil. When you mar something, you disfigure it, and you distort it, and you mangle it, and it's got scars. And when you are marred by what the enemy does to you, it distorts your self-image. The word sully means to damage the purity and the integrity of something. And when the integrity of something and the purity of something is damaged, you become divided. And so you are divided from self-confidence. You have lack of confidence when you are defiled. You have no self-identity. You have no identity. Your identity is messed up when you are defiled. And then the third word is spoil. To diminish or to destroy the value or the quality of something. The enemy wants to destroy your self-worth. He wants to tear down your self-image. He wants to tear down your self-confidence. He wants to tear down your self-worth by defiling you with stuff. He wants to put this on you so that you walk under a cloud, that you have no joy. You just let him do whatever he wants to do. Look at the person next to you and tell him the devil is defeated. He's got no feet. He's disarmed. He's got no arms. He has no power. And he has no authority over me. And the tricks that he's trying to pull are over today. And whatever he did to me in the past, God is going to clean it up. Say, so I'm moving forward. And so a couple more scriptures here. Um, in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, verse 18. 
you can go read this whole story, but I'm just pulling out one little piece here. This was the Lord talking to Moses on Mount Sinai for 40 days. It says, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. Check that out. God wants to inscribe and he wants to write the covenant on the tablet of your heart. But Moses spent 40 days in the presence of God for that inscription to take place. Look at the person next to you and say, when you spend time in the presence of God, God begins to inscribe on the tablet of your heart, on the walls of your temple, His commandments, His will, His desires. Exodus 34, we know Moses came down the mountain. He broke the Ten Commandments. So this is the second time he went up there. In Exodus 34, 27, the Lord said to Moses, write these words down because it is on the basis of these words that I am making a covenant with you and with Israel. God makes a covenant with words like a contract. And Moses stayed there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, eating and drinking nothing. When you spend time in the presence of God, you don't need food or drink. The Lord will sustain you in His presence. And He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So Moses had to do the inscribing the second time. God said, I did it the first time. You're going to do it the second time. That's why you need a journal. God inscribes it on the heart, but you need to write it in your journal so that you can be reminded what the Lord has said to you. Amen. And then one final scripture today. 2 Corinthians 3.3 says, You are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So God doesn't want you to have tablets of stone everywhere with commandments on it. He wants to write these laws and these commands in your heart so that it's natural from the inside for you to obey God. It's not a struggle to obey God. Amen? And so let me tell you some stories and then we're going to pray today. So over the last couple of weeks, a couple of different things have happened. I've had some encounters with the Lord and I didn't get picked up by my hair or anything. That's next level. Right now I'm still on the ground. Um... So I was praying, I was praying one evening, I woke up about 3 a.m. in the morning and I was just walking around the pool table praying, because that's where I go pray. I do laps around the pool table. I do like two, uh, 6,000 steps around the pool table. It's pretty cool. It's, it's quite a pace, you know. I get my morning exercise while I'm praying. And so... Um, I went into a vision, and in this vision, the Lord showed me somebody sleeping in bed. I didn't know who that person was, but I suddenly was in somebody's room, and they were sleeping. And what appeared in front of their bed was a podium like this. It came up out of the ground, and in front of me, a book of life opened. And as this book opened in front of me, I was able to page into this person's future, 
And then I was able to page backwards into the person's past. I knew it was the book of their life. And then suddenly in my right hand appeared a pen, that, uh, that pencil. It was like a pencil pen. I don't know how to describe it. It, had an er- it. it was filled with the blood of Jesus, and it had an eraser on the one end, and it had a pen on the other end. And I paged backwards into this person's life, and I erased stuff out of their past in this book. And the vision ended, and I was, I was back. And so that was the first encounter that I had. Then um, this week, in my time with the Lord, what happened was, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> you know OxyClean, the stuff that you throw into your... Um, into your wash that has that bubbly effervescent stuff that's supposedly supposed to clean your laundry. Any ladies know what I'm talking about? It's like the Lord used OxyClean on me. And I saw the Lord taking these fine brushes. And the Lord was, I explained it to the, the Kickstart group this morning. You know when you um, brush your teeth every day, you eat food, you brush your teeth every day. But somehow you get this other stuff, it's residue called plaque, that begins to somehow stick to your teeth. You brush your teeth, but somehow you still have buildup that shows up there. Well, even if you know how to keep your heart clean, there's still buildup that gets into your heart, which begins to restrict the flow of the life of God in, in you. And I saw the Lord going in me and doing like a fine detail with OxyClean and some brushes and cleansing some passageways in my heart. Do you know that there are different gates on the inside of you? There is connections between your soul and your spirit, your joints, your marrow. There's different connections, and there's pathways on the inside of you. Do you know that you have a prayer gate? There's a love gate. There's a faith gate, right? How is faith flowing in you? How is your prayer life? How is your worship life? Is stuff clogging your worship? Is stuff clogging your prayers? Is stuff clogging your faith? Is there stuff building up that's restricting your worship? Is there stuff building up that's restricting your love walk? Maybe you don't get into a fight with your wife where you're throwing knives at each other, but you say a word here or there that cuts the heart, and it just adds another layer of buildup. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you've seen that movie. You know, it's not the big things that mess you up. It's the little things. Over time, a little stuff begins to creep in. How's your passion for the Lord? Is it hot and fiery like it was in the beginning? Or have you become lukewarm? What's buildup and residue is now starting to crush the passion and your prayer life and your worship and all that kind of stuff. And, and I tell you, when I got to scrubbing in the presence of the Lord this week, I have had worship in my heart without trying to sing. I wake up every morning with worship. It doesn't matter what time I wake up. I got music playing in my heart. Worship unto the Lord. You can wake up in the morning and have no sound on the inside of you other than the job you have to do today. But are you waking up with the sound of heaven and a sound of worship and a sound of prayer and a sound of thankfulness and a sound of joy? Then another thing that happened was the Lord, in this time, the Lord, 
the fire of God. <laughs> so hard to explain spiritual things sometimes. The fire of God burnt some letters. And the, and the Bible says in the book of Corinthians that love keeps no record of wrongs. So you might have forgiven somebody, but you still have a record of what they did to you. And what the Lord showed me after this encounter was, He showed me markings. He showed me that when I lived in my sinful life, I committed some sins that really defiled me. And even though I'm not practicing that, it still left a mark. Like Restaurante Luigi, you know, Restaurante Luigi. How many of you have eaten at an Italian restaurant before? Right? Not my favorite type of food, but okay, I've eaten there a few times. And then you order linguine pescatore, you know, and spicy. And it comes and you dip your fork in and you spin the pasta on your spoon. And there comes olive oil and tomato sauce. And it gets on your brand new shirt. And then you dip it in the water and you get the, you get the stuff off, the pasta and that off. But there's a stain left. And even though nobody else can see it, you are aware of that stain. Who knows what I'm talking about? Well, it's the same thing. You've, there's things that you have done where there's been the defiling has been so deep in you that even though you've cleaned most of it up, there's still a stain of what had happened in your life. So just like the Lord wants to write things on your wall to remind you of His covenant and His promises for your life, there are markings of the devil when you lived in your life of sin, and there are still things that you remember and are written on the walls that you cannot forget. You know I'm going deep today, people. So the first time that you had sex outside of the covenant of marriage, it's something that you remember. The first time you stole something, the first time you got into a fight and physically fought with somebody, you had an abortion, you had a broken marriage, you lost a business, you lost a child or a spouse. These things are sometimes so hard, abuse, that it leaves a stain on you. And that even though you're not there, you are still seeing that stain even though nobody else can see it. And these are stains in your garment that you are reminded of every day that the Lord wants to clean out of you. And you cannot use human soap to get this stuff out. You need a cleansing with the blood of Jesus and the fire of God and the Word of God. And those are the three things that God has given priests, ministers to use to cleanse people of their sins so that they can worship God. Family, we need to do a deep scrub today. That's what the Lord wants to do. And the Lord, I saw it in worship today. I felt the resistance of this thing. But when we sang something had to break, I saw the foundation of what the devil had done in your life be broken. And it's going to be easy for the, the Spirit of God to wipe this out of you today. Amen? Everybody understand what I'm talking about? I'm trying to explain spiritual things and get it to you clearly where I'm not trying to be weird. <laughs> not trying to be an ozone warrior or a space ninja. And people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Every, every revelation has to have practical application and it has to make your life better. Amen? 
I'll read one more thing to you and then we'll pray. In the book of Genesis, this blew me away. I mean, it, I love it when God shows you things that you know, but then they just come alive. Right? In Genesis chapter 3. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only from the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. So God said, you must not eat it or, or, or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. The devil wants to deceive you to the point where you believe him. Some of you believe that you'll never be out of debt. Some of you believe that you'll never be free from these things that you're carrying. But I'm letting you know today that Jesus is the one that is coming to cleanse you. He's the one cleansing the church to prepare her as a bride that he's going to present to himself without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, without stains. You don't want stains in your wedding dress, do you? No, we're preparing ourselves for the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb at Christ's return. We are preparing ourselves to meet him. We have a job to do because Jesus is coming. Can I get an amen? amen. Now watch this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Everybody say wisdom. So in the Garden of Eden, right, all they knew was the tree of life. That was the only fruit they ate of. The fruit from the tree of life was only to do the will of the Father. They were in relationship with the Father, and the Father was teaching them how to do things giving them instructions. He taught Adam, Adam, how to, Adam, Adam how to name the animals, right? He gave them instructions in the garden. So God was a father. He would visit them and walk with them in the cool of the day. But the serpent came into the garden. They lived by the wisdom of God. But here the serpent came to unlock another wisdom, another way of living, a rebellious way of life. When she ate of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, suddenly sin nature, a rebellious nature, unlocked in humans. So now we have to choose life. Before we never had to choose life. Well, they did. They had the choice in the garden, but they only knew life. We have life and death set before us. And family, every time you're going to go eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you give into your sinful fleshly nature you're allowing the enemy to come and mark you. Because you see, the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants you to participate in. Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. When you obey this other nature. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of that sinful nature, it produces sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. All of these things, sorcery, uh, hostility, anger, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, drunkenness, wild parties, all of those things drive God's presence out of your temple. And, if you, and over the years, what I've come to discover is that as even though I was saved, I would still yield to my own reasoning. To my sinful nature, give people a piece of my mind. 
I'm going to do things my way. When you yield to that nature, what you're doing is you're resisting God in your life. And what I would find is there would be times where I would, I would come into the presence of God, but then I would slip out of the presence back into self. And what we have to do is we have to move you out of Egypt, living obedient to the desires and the inclinations of your flesh. We've got to bring you through the wilderness where some things die off you. And we've got to bring you into the kingdom of God where you are fully surrendered and submitted to the Spirit of God. And you obey the laws and the decrees of God. And you walk once again with your heavenly Father, eating from the tree of life, coming to know the will and the plans and the purposes of God for you. Right? And, and what I'm discovering is that there are different degrees of walking in relationship with the Lord. But it's all based on what's written on the tablets of your heart. And we've got, to, we've got to take this pen and we've got to erase some things from the walls on your heart. We've got to get you squeaky scrubby clean so that your mind is no longer stuck to things that the devil did when you were playing in his playground. The walls of your heart only have imagery, no vile imagery on the walls of your heart. There are things that pop up in your spirit, man, where you remember things that you did and the images are still alive. And we have to break those, the power of those images. It got broken this morning, but God is getting ready to cleanse it off you now. And some of you have prayed and asked God to set you free from certain things, but it's still there. It's been there, but the Lord says today it's different. Today it will be wiped out and it will be remembered no more by the Lord and by you. What I love is that the Lord showed me that I have a pen in my hand and I have the authority to erase stuff. This is fun now. I, the devil gets payback. Devil gets payback. Should have killed me when he had a chance. He missed it. You missed. So while I've been talking, some of these images have popped up. Who knows what I'm talking about? You are suddenly reminded of things from your past that you have been struggling to erase from your memory. All right? You know what those things are. If not, let's ask the Lord to reveal them to you. Just get ready to receive. Amen? Say this. Say, Heavenly Father. I ask you to do a cleansing work. On the inside of me. There are stains. Of vile images. From my rebellion. That, I, that I'm still aware of. And I no longer. Want to have the record. Of my wrong. Inscribed on the tablets of my heart. I want to be free. From these markings. I want my walls cleansed. And I want you, God, to write on the walls of my heart. I want my temple to have your inscriptions, your promises. Your regulations, your decrees on the walls of my heart. When I close my eyes, I only want to see my future in Christ Jesus, not my past in self.
And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. And I choose to forgive myself. And I forgive every person that has used me, come against me, that the enemy has used to defile my life, to distort my self-image, to tear down my self-confidence and my self-worth. So I give you my heart today, God. And I ask you to come with the blood of Jesus, the fire of the Holy Ghost, and your word. Wash me. Cleanse me. Come and get the stains out of my life. Burn the record of wrong. So that I can be free to worship. In Jesus' mighty name.